Good morning, everyone. Uh, just by way of review, just a brief introduction. Uh, leading people from health to him. Uh, we, we talked to, how, how many of this is the first time you've been here? Oh, good. Well, I don't know where my others went. <laughs> Maybe are still eating breakfast. But uh, we had a, a seminar where we looked at how to lead people from health to him. Then we looked at a, a bridge study. We then looked at Daniel chapter one, the oldest scientific study. But, uh, and then we, we, we dealt with addictions a little bit yesterday because the leading causes of death for people 15 to 20 years old is number one, unintentional injury because people aren't using their frontal load maybe. Uh, number two, homicide. Number three, suicide. And then you get into the ones that usually kill uh, you know, adults where it's kind of flipped. And so I, I realized that if number one is preventable uh, accidents and number two is homicide and suicide, uh, we needed to, to deal with how to increase our, our mental peak performance. <laughs> um, and so I'm delighted that Dr. Nedley uh, from Oklahoma slash Weimar um, is able to be with us. And no, Oklahoma and Weimar are not really close together. <laughs> so we're glad that you're here this morning. Let's just have a prayer before we begin. Father in heaven, we're thankful today that uh, you... Uh, are alive and that's why we can be alive and you think and that's why we can think. We ask you would improve our, our thoughts, be with Dr. Nelly in a special way this next several hours. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, this uh, hour we're gonna be talking about how to enhance your intelligence and the next hour we're going to be talking about one aspect of intelligence that has a lot to do with academic performance, and that is going to be memory. And so we're going to be talking about how to enhance your memory, we're gonna be talking about how memories are formed, and also the seven uh, common memory problems, and how they can be uh, solved or worked on. And so uh, you'll uh, uh, possibly want to stay for that one as well. Uh, this one has to do more with IQ, however, and before I actually get into this, I also uh, should mention for those of you, uh, how many uh, were here last year to hear about EQ at GYC? Any in this group? Okay, I don't see a single hand that's gone up. So I would, uh, I would recommend uh, emotional intelligence is uh, just as important, in fact, in some areas more important than IQ. And we gave uh, three seminars last year on how to enhance your emotional intelligence. Uh, and that, those are on audioverse.org. Uh, you can still find them there. They're one of the most highly uh, downloaded um, seminars on audioverse. And uh, you'll even find out what your EQ is uh, by uh, going through that seminar. There's an EQ test that we give and, uh, and then you can find out how that relates to success and how to significantly improve it. And so EQ is very important, but since I talked on that last year, uh, to a much uh, a fuller audience, we're not going to speak on that uh, this year. Uh, intelligence, or IQ, is your capacity to learn, retain, and apply knowledge. And uh, this, of course, has a lot to do with your success uh, in life. It's often measured by an intelligence quotient test or an IQ test. 
However, uh, IQ tests, although they can be comprehensive, uh, sometimes are not accurate. It's kind of the most accurate measure that we have, but testing measures sometimes are not completely accurate and IQ tests sometimes can be inaccurate as well. Uh, but overall, for the vast majority of the population, they're actually a pretty accurate measure of your capacity to learn, retain, and apply knowledge. Now, IQ is related somewhat to academic performance. Uh, why isn't it related completely to academic performance? A lot of people think if you're a 4.0 student, you have to have a high IQ. And a lot of people think if you're failing in school, you have to have a pretty low IQ. Otherwise, that wouldn't be happening. And to some degree, there can be truth to both of those, but it's not across the board truth. Why isn't it? Why are there some people who have just average IQs? How many of you have had an IQ test uh, in this uh, audience? We probably half of you have had an IQ test. Uh, you actually can go online and get an IQ test. Uh, you can get them uh, for free as far as your total score is concerned. Uh, it may take you an hour or two to take the IQ test. Uh, and then it will measure your IQ in a lot of different areas. Vocabulary, logic, uh, etc. Uh, and then if you want a breakdown of all of that, then you'll have to pay additional fees uh, to try to get a 30-page report on your IQ. Uh, but for those who have uh, an IQ of 100, average is 100, and for every standard deviation, it goes up by 10. So if you're one standard deviation above the mean, your IQ would be 110. If you're two standard deviations above the mean, it would be 120. If you're two standard deviations below the mean, it would be 80. But there are many individuals with IQs of 100 who have very high GPAs. Why is that the case? What's that? Diligence. Diligence. That has something to do with it. Yes. Discipline. Discipline. Yes. Has a lot to do with it. Discipline has virtually nothing to do with IQ. But discipline has a lot to do with EQ. And emotional intelligence has everything to do with motivation and discipline. IQ does not measure your motivational levels. It doesn't measure your discipline at all. Uh, and so this is why you can have someone with an IQ of 100 who can have a GPA of 3.8, 3.9, uh, and uh, be very successful in life. And by the way, if you take an individual with an IQ of 100 and he has an average college GPA of 3.9, and then you take another student with an IQ of 150, and his average GPA is 2.8. By the way, how can that happen? If you have a super intelligent person, why can, why can their GPA be 2.8? <laughs> That's right. Their, their motivational level is extremely low. They're not disciplined. Uh, and they're often up all night doing all sorts of other things that are unrelated to academics. Which student do you think is going to be more successful in life? The one with the higher GPA or the one with the lower GPA that I just described? Actually, the one with the higher GPA is going to be far more successful in life. And so IQ does have a lot to do with GPA, but it's not everything. And that's why, again, I want to refer you to our emotional intelligence presentations we gave 
last year that have a lot to do with motivation. So it's related, this is why this, the studies show it's related somewhat to academic performance. College graduates' first job after graduation has been found to be very much related to their IQ. If we do IQ tests in college, we can pretty much predict, I, I should say pre-college, we can pretty much predict who post-college is going to get the best jobs right after they graduate from college, if you're taking a look at America as a whole. Uh, very uh, much related to that. However, how far they advance in that job, is it related to their IQ? It's not at all related to their IQ, but it's completely related to their EQ. So your first job related to IQ, how far you advance in that job is related to emotional intelligence. And that has to do with your social relations, et cetera. And there's a lot of people with very high IQs who have been passed over for promotion, even in very mental type jobs like engineering. You know, you can have a very bright engineer and here there's someone with significantly lower IQ being promoted as the boss of this highly intelligent engineer. And often these people will tell me that the problem is the rest of the world doesn't have, enough high, doesn't have a high enough IQ to recognize their IQ and that's why they're being passed over. But actually, their intelligence is being recognized. It's their emotional intelligence. And if they have lower EQs, they're going to be passed over time and again uh, for leadership type of jobs and uh, promotion. But it is related very much to uh, their first job. There are some other advantages to IQ. This one published in the uh, uh, Journal of Epidemiology, November of 2005. This study, I like these very long-term studies. Uh, because it can really uh, teach us a lot. Uh, in fact, I'm very interested now, there's a lot of long-term studies coming out on child-rearing techniques and how successful the children are later on. And, uh, and so this has to be multi-year studies and uh, we're going to learn a lot more about that. Researchers found that up to the cutoff point of 163, now is that a low IQ or a high IQ? Yeah, that's an extremely high IQ. You're going to be in the 99 percentile uh, there. Participants' risk of dying during a given period decreased as their IQ increased. So what does IQ affect? It affects longevity. For example, those with a childhood IQ of 150 had a 44 percent lower risk of death than those with an IQ of 135. So even if you take two intelligent people, and if you have one that's very intelligent, their risk of dying during any period is significantly decreased. Now, uh, why is that the case? Well, Don McIntosh alluded to it a little earlier. Uh, some of the leading causes of death in your age group are unintentional injuries, accidents, homicides, uh, suicides, etc. The higher your IQ, the less likely you are to take those super high risks. Uh, that's part of it. It's not all of it, however. IQ does have a role to play in regards to health habits, as you'll find out later on uh, in this study as well. Well, let's take a look on the influences on IQ. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on who your parents are, genetics has a significant role to play 
in regards to IQ. It doesn't have near the role to play in regards to EQ, however, emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is much more learned than even general intelligence is. But genetics does have a role to play. Prenatal influences have a role to play. And that has to do with not only the health of your mother during the time that you're being carried, but actually the health of your father at the time of conception. Uh, and so, uh, in fact, I think it's important to go over this. You may say, well, why am I going over all of these things? Because, you know, genetics is already determined and prenatal influences are already determined in you. And we're going to be talking about a lot of things that are not determined in you yet and that you can have a significant role to play. But most of you actually are closer to bearing children than you are to your own childhood. And that means that within just five years, uh, I, I can safely say this, within 10 years, the vast majority of you who are single or have no children, either one, are going to have a, at least one child. And so it's important for you to also plan for your child's intelligence uh, as well. Parenting during the first two years of life turns out to be quite crucial. Nutrition, such as breastfeeding, uh, is important. If you are breastfed, your IQ is about 9 to 10 points higher than if you are not breastfed. It has to do with things like omega-3. Love, emotional support, and discipline have a role to play. <coughs> and then there are environmental influences, such as your education, parenting during the first 12 years of life, but then there, fortunately, there are multiple additional factors after the age of 12 as well that have a role to play in regards to your IQ. Well, let's also take a look at some of the myths about intelligence. One of the myths is genetics is all that matters. And uh, it seems to be that way in some individuals. You'll see some individuals that just seem to have a bad lifestyle, but yet they're able to ace those tests and to get a 3.8, 3.9. They have some very good genetics there. Uh, but uh, genetics is not all uh, uh, that matters. As you will find out, those individuals actually can decrease their IQ by their lifestyle. Uh, and thus, they could actually be a lot more successful if they paid attention to other things. Another myth is there's nothing you can do about it after age 18. There are some studies showing that your IQ at age 18 tends to be the same as it is at age 30. And that is, for the typical American, that's true. But it isn't true across the board. There are some people who significantly improve their IQ after age 18. And that's why we're having a seminar like this today. Uh, another myth, people that are highly intelligent are generally irritating to be around. Uh, and uh, I've heard that myth repeatedly, and you know, it can be true in certain circumstances, but there have been studies done on this. And the studies show that low IQ people, average IQ people, and high IQ people don't have any difference in regards to the likelihood of being irritating to be around. So in other words, <coughs> they're not less irritable, per se, but they're not any more irritable either if you take a large group of individuals. And you'll have some people that are, have very high IQs who are very enjoyable to be around, uh, and, uh, and some that are the other way. 
This is another myth. People that are highly intelligent lack common sense. Uh, it is true about some people with high IQ, but studies show that common sense is actually more prevalent in those with high IQ than it is in those with average or low IQ. And so uh, common sense does tend to be directly related to uh, IQ, although there are some e e exceptions. And another myth is if you can't improve it, why try? And as you'll find out today, uh, we can improve it. Let's first deal with the environmental influences, because as I mentioned earlier, many of you are actually closer to bearing your own children than you are to your own uh, childhood. And uh, I am going to summarize a number of studies in these next three slides by a um, chapter uh, in the book Ministry of Healing. <coughs> Excuse me. And in regards to environmental influences, that's one thing the Lord had the opportunity of choosing. Uh, he came to this world in some pretty adverse conditions, but he did have the opportunity of choosing the parents for our Lord and also in choosing the environmental influences. And do you think he chose an environmental influence that was going to enhance IQ or detract from it? is going to enhance it. Not only would it enhance IQ, it would also enhance EQ as well. It turned out Jesus had probably had developed uh, one of the highest EQs, if not the highest EQ on the entire planet. And these are the influences that will develop both. What were the conditions chosen by the Infinite Father for his son? A what type of home? Secluded home in the Galilean hills. So if you have the opportunity of getting into a neighborhood where the houses are right next to each other, just six inches apart, uh, or you have the opportunity of living a more secluded, in a secluded environment, uh, the best one for your own children is going to be the seclusion. Now which one is going to require more work on your part? The seclusion part, normally. Uh, you usually have more lawns to cut, more flowers to care for, uh, not as many resources around to fix things, etc. Secluded home in the Galilean Hills, a household sustained by honest, self-respecting labor, and a life of what? Simplicity. One of the myths out there is the more complex the environment that you're raised in, the greater your IQ. And that is a myth. It actually has been disproven. Those who develop real high IQs tend to come from lives of simplicity. Notice this, daily conflict with difficulty and hardship. Now, uh, a lot of individuals, in fact, uh, I myself uh, is a, uh, am a physician, and uh, the talk has come up sometimes in the area that I'm working in because I have four boys and no girls and the desire to have a daughter, uh, that we should adopt a daughter. And it would be very easy for those choosing the adoption to have their daughter adopted by, quotes us, because who wouldn't want their daughter raised by a successful physician? Did you know as far as development of IQ and EQ is concerned, that's probably the wrong occupation to choose if you were to give up uh, your adopted or, or your own biological daughter. Uh, the reason for it is, in order to gain the highest IQ and EQ, you want to have daily conflict with difficulty and hardship. You want to be struggling 
with how are you going to put food on the table the next week. You want to be struggling with how are you going to accomplish this and that. And it's in those uh, daily struggles with difficulty and hardship that the brain is actually enhanced. Self-sacrifice should be part of the environmental influence. Economy. So uh, many people that are raised by physicians, and you know the world would actually like their kids to be raised in an environment where they have no stress in regards to finances, where they can choose anything that they want in life, uh, where they don't have any of those trials and tribulations. But studies show repeatedly people who are raised in that environment develop particularly very low EQs. Their emotional intelligence uh, tends to be in the bottom five percentile uh, of the nation. Uh, they're, their IQs, if they were raised, you know, biologically, uh, genetically, if they were raised by physician parents, they're probably in the upper, um, you know, 10 percentile or so. Uh, but a high IQ person with a very low EQ is still going to be a very unsuccessful person uh, in life. So you want to have economy. You want to have the, um, where there's going to have to be a budget, uh, where you're going to have to try to actually not uh, partake of things that you would may have a desire to or not have things that you would have a desire to. Patient, gladsome service. What type of service? Patient and gladsome service. Now these are the, uh, this is the environment that the Holy Father chose for his uh, only begotten son. Uh, but he wanted him in an environment where patient, gladsome service was part of what was being modeled. And that was modeled by Joseph and Mary repeatedly. The hour of study at his mother's side. Now a lot of times people get the idea that Christ was raised by having Mary go over the scrolls with him eight hours a day. Is that what it says? No. How long? One hour. But do you think that was an hour where it was, uh, where everyone was totally exhausted and where Jesus was very tempted to go to sleep during that reading time? No. Uh, this was an hour that was a high priority hour. This was an hour of alertness. And it was a very important hour, but just an hour at his mother's side with the open scroll of scripture. That was part of developing IQ. The quiet of dawn or twilight in the green valley. The holy ministries of nature. So if you're going to uh, develop children that have high IQs, you want to have them out in nature and where they can see a lot of nature. And not only just see it, the study of creation and providence. Where you're studying creation. You're studying providence. That's why all of you really probably need to download those six... Uh, uh, part series of one of the seminars here dealing with the creation uh, question. The, the study of creation is something that can enhance your IQ. Uh, the soul's communion with God. So it's not just the study of creation, but actually commun communing with the infinite. These were the conditions and opportunities of the early life of Jesus. And notice what else she follows this up with. So with the great majority of the best and noblest men of all ages. So if you take a look at the best and most noblest men, at least the majority of them, they had this similarity as far as how they were brought up. Well, let's talk about how we can improve our intelligence, not only 
in, uh, in an environmental way uh, when we're raising our own kids, but also in ourselves. Uh, again, summarizing some studies, alcohol is, not, uh, is actually indirectly related to IQ. Uh, and there are uh, studies on that. Alcohol actually suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain first before it affects any other portion of the brain. And a lot of young people don't understand this because when they have just a small amount of alcohol on board and a policeman pulls them over, can they walk a straight line successfully? Yeah. In fact, studies show that it, you, if you're skilled at doing so, you can hit a curveball out of a baseball park with alcohol on board, successfully do it. So why is it then that you're 10 times as likely to get into an automobile accident? It has to do with your judgment. That's what happened to Prince's Dyes driver. He was conversing normally, he was walking straight lines, but he attempted to negotiate a turn in a tunnel at a speed that was impossible to negotiate even under the best of coordinated circumstances. They studied that wreck very thoroughly and they found out the best race car driver in the world would never have been able to successfully negotiate that turn at that speed. And thus he lost his life and others lost their life as well. Once alcohol is on board, and uh, we can, again, we're summarizing a number of studies, but this is probably an important one that I probably should have put up there. Studies show that critical abstract thinking takes two weeks to fully recover. Now as far as driving, you can drive. Does that require critical abstract thinking to successfully drive an automobile? No. It, it's pretty common. I mean, you know, even people that are low IQ and low EQ can learn how to successfully drive an automobile. And so it's not something that's it's critical abstract thinking. But it is something that uh, if you are really having to do difficult problem solving, uh, it takes two weeks for the effects of alcohol to wear off on the frontal lobe of the brain. And so that's why it's best to completely abstain uh, from alcohol. Nicotine has a more subtle effect on the frontal lobe of the brain and suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain. And then there are things like lead. This is why it's become big news among children, you know, where the Chinese toys were laced with lead because it can have an adverse effect on the brain. And also, caffeine can have an adverse effect. Caffeine blocks the adenosine receptors in the frontal lobe of the brain. Adenosine is used uh, extensively in the frontal lobe. It also uh, actually causes uh, the deactivation of an enzyme called acetylcholinesterase that makes too much acetylcholine available. And this is why people feel stimulated under the influence of caffeine. Uh, Pavlov studied this out. Typists under the influence of caffeine can type a little bit faster, but they make 10 times as many errors. And this is why the NFL coaching, you're, you're seeing this more in the NFL. Caffeine is actually pushed on the linemen, but the quarterbacks are told to completely abstain from it. Why is that the case? Who needs more frontal lobe? the quarterback. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why uh, uh, you know, your frontal lobe also is detracted from when you get head trauma. Uh, and the more concussions, the more the frontal lobe goes down. Uh, for some of you uh, who are into the NFL, uh, you might have heard of Troy Aikman. I heard of him because I am in, uh, just a few miles away from Dallas, Texas. 
and he was the great quarterback that you know took the Dallas Cowboys to a number of championships and at age 34 the Dallas Cowboys fired him and he got up 10 mannequins on the 50-yard line uh, there in Texas Stadium and he took 10 footballs and he threw it bullet and hit each one of them in their numbers all 10 10 in a row why did he do that he was trying to demonstrate his pinpoint accuracy as far as passing is concerned after that how many teams do you think were interested in him he didn't get hired had the most pinpoint accuracy but no NFL team would hire him why is that because he was making the wrong decision once he had that ball when he had all that information coming in he had to utilize his frontal lobe and it was a time limit on being able to utilize his frontal lobe and he was making wrong decisions why is that his frontal lobe had become not near as keen as it used to be due to the concussions that he had had uh, the head trauma now he's still a great commentator uh, he still comments on games he's paid lots of money to comment but he has time to be able to think through the process and he still knows a lot of football so it's not like he's a mental retard now uh, but he doesn't have the ability uh, and didn't have the ability to be able to do NFL quarterbacking anymore and part of that reason that has been elucidated as well as caffeine caffeine will actually prevent that calm rational healthy thinking uh, that needs to take place there and this is why quarterbacks are being told to abstain from it uh, in uh, in the NFL uh, today now melatonin also has a lot to do with EQ in fact it has a lot to do with memory we're going to be speaking about melatonin in the next hour but uh, melatonin goes up at night now you would be able to decrease that area under the curve by going to bed at midnight instead of nine o'clock this is nine o'clock bedtime this is a midnight bedtime where it would come up here and there you would decrease the area under the curve by about 50 percent and when you make less melatonin you have less consolidation going on in your brain as far as memory is concerned and uh, Brigham Young University did a study on their 40,000 student body what they found out was there was one lifestyle habit that had more to do with their academic performance than any other and that was early to bed early to rise uh, and uh, the reason for that comes back into the melatonin in fact years ago before that study was ever published Ellen White said this sleep is worth far more before than after midnight two hours good sleep before 12 o'clock is worth more than four hours after 12 o'clock in fact there's an old saying that I grew up with I'm not sure this saying is repeated to young people today have any of you heard it early to bed early to rise all right many of you know it healthy wealthy and wise can come about and uh, there's evidence actually for all three particularly the health and the wise and if you have those two then you have the opportunity greater opportunity for the wealth there are also studies showing that calcium intake is related to the IQ average IQ of populations these are population based studies uh, and calcium intake improves your melatonin production at night this is why we recommend uh, just like the US government recommends a thousand milligrams of calcium a day and some foods are very good for you but not very high in calcium oatmeal we recommend it 
but only 19 milligrams. Lentils, only 38 milligrams. Quinoa, 102 milligrams. That's a moderate source of calcium. Rutabagas have more. Uh, this is a very cheap source of calcium here. Uh, dandelion greens, uh, one cup, 147. Mustard greens, 152. Baked beans, 154. Sesame seeds, 176. Uh, one of the advantages of tahini, high in calcium. Blackstrap molasses also has some. Kale is a very good source of calcium, 179. <coughs> and then your very high sources are in this slide. Turnip greens, 249. Filberts are the highest nut in it, 254. Soybeans are high in it. Figs are high, just 10 figs, 269. Whole milk has 290. Amaranth grain, 298. Skim milk, 301. Collard greens, 357. Carob flour, 358. And the highest source are lamb's quarters. Now that's not the hind leg of a small sheep. Uh, that actually is a green. It actually grows in our garden as a weed. Whenever Erica sees that, she preserves that weed until it's nice and tender. And uh, we eat lamb's quarters, very good source of calcium. By the way, are you gonna absorb more calcium from a cup of turnip greens or a cup of whole milk? Turnip greens, yeah. Milk has more phosphorus in it. It prevents some of the absorption of the calcium there uh, than the turnip greens do. Another important aspect to IQ is actually not mental exercise. We'll get to more of that in the second hour, but physical exercise is a very important component. We could do a number of studies showing those who are physically active uh, develop higher IQs and actually are able to maintain those IQs uh, more so. Diet is also important. The diet that's emerging is a high-carb, low-fat diet that seems to be best for the brain. Not only does it improve weight loss and enhance mood, it actually speeds thinking. And so again, this is, uh, the quarterbacks are told not only to stay away from caffeine, they're also told to be on a high-carb, low-fat regimen. That's why you don't see these huge, um, you know, 300-pound quarterbacks. Uh, uh, there. Uh, those uh, individuals might be good blocking at the line, but again, they tend to not have the speed of thinking necessary uh, to make the appropriate decision. While both a high and low carb diet seem to boost the speed of cognitive processing, the interesting result from this study was that compared to the high carb diet, subjects consuming the low carb diet had a smaller improvement. Now, the big term there is diet. Uh, actually, if you're eating on the lower end of the amount of calories that you need, you actually have faster thinking. That's one of the advantages of fasting. And I don't know if that was by design, that breakfast this morning, which was part of a, of a three-day fast, uh, but it actually will speed your thinking and improve your cognitive processing uh, during the next uh, three days here. Uh, carbohydrates uh, are used almost exclusively by the brain for optimal function. Uh, in fact, Ellen White, speaking of these four food groups, she names them by name, fruits, vegetables, grains, and nuts. And by the way, that's where your natural carbs come from, those four food groups. They impart a strength, a power of endurance, and what else? Vigor of intellect that are not afforded by a more complex and stimulating diet. And so that's part of developing a higher IQ, Ministry of Healing, page 298. Now, if carbs are good for the brain, you would think sugar would be very good for the brain. Sugar is a carbohydrate. What do the studies show on sugar? 
and mental performance. Actually, large amounts of sugar in the diet impair frontal lobe functions in school-aged children. And that can make about a grade letter difference in performance. Uh, why is that the case? Well, when we, uh, when we eat sugar uh, or a high sugar food, our blood sugar goes up and our pancreas thinks we've eaten a large amount of fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetables. So our pancreas cranks out the insulin and drives the blood sugar down low. Within 30 minutes, it's down often lower than it was before we ate the sugary substance. And what happens then is the frontal lobe goes down. It takes four hours for the frontal lobe to recover, even after we snack at that point. And that's one of the, uh, uh, the significant disadvantages of a large sugar diet. Now, as far as memory is concerned, the memory will still work okay with mild forms of hypoglycemia. So if you're just having to repeat memory things back, you'll do all right on the test. But if you're having to think about what you've memorized and problem solve, uh, then you won't do uh, near as good on the test. Arachidonic acid is another nutritive substance present primarily in flesh foods. It decreases the synthesis and storage of acetylcholine, an important neurotransmitter that has to do with intellectual functions. Now, there have been studies showing a plant-based diet does improve mental performance significantly, enhances mood, improves EQ and IQ. Uh, but this was a, a study that looked at it from the other perspective. Published in the British Medical Journal, December of 2005, it took a look at children with high IQs. These were all non-vegetarian children. So they're all uh, raised uh, in the typical English diet, non-vegetarian. And what they found out is that they were more likely to become vegetarians when they grew up if they had a high IQ as a child. Study of more than 8,000 men and women aged 30 whose IQs have been measured when they were 10 show that the higher the IQ, the greater the odds of becoming a vegetarian. For each 15-point rise in IQ scores in the study, the likelihood of being a vegetarian rose by 38%. And so it was significant, and those in the high IQ range ended up uh, having a very high likelihood of becoming vegetarians uh, down the road. Even after adjusting to factors such as social class and education, the link was still consistent. And so if someone asks you why you're a vegetarian, you can just give them a two-word answer, high IQ. <laughs> Hypnosis also has a, uh, uh, an effect on mental performance. In fact, this comes from a hypnosis textbook that tries to promote it. Hypnosis attempts to cancel out, what? frontal lobe functions and bring people into a trance in which they are highly suggestible. That's the whole purpose of hypnosis. And uh, whether it's a hypnotic music portion or a hypnotic movie, etc., cetera, uh, what it's going to do is to cancel out frontal lobe functions, bring people into a trance in which they are highly suggestible. And then the book goes on to say how it's most easily accomplished. Hypnosis is most easily accomplished by a training the eyes to focus in on what? One object, the best object being a little flickering light. Now it's important for the hypnotist to be in control of the flicker and not the person being hypnotized. If you're in control of the flicker yourself, it's not gonna work very well. But the flicker has an irregular beat to it, so to speak, uh, as far as the rhythm of that flicker. And it's important that the eyes stay focused in on that. And that little flickering light, after several minutes at the most, 
sometimes as little as 90 seconds, will then begin to shut down the frontal lobe of the brain. What will happen then? Person will record information and duties without interpretation or without frontal lobe activity. So the memory still works. The emotions still work. You can laugh or cry, but you're no longer putting it in the appropriate subset as far as where it should be. And that's why hypnosis can, can have a significant effect. Uh, do you think it's a positive effect or an adverse effect on human behavior? It's an adverse effect because, again, it's declining the frontal lobe of the brain. The frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. And the more hypnosis you see, the, the greater the declines that you will notice in spirituality, moral things, and decision-making. The will has to do with decision-making. Now, a lot of people are unaware of it, but they could have a hypnotic instrument in their own home. What trains the eyes to focus in on one object and flickers? That's right. Uh, and what produces that flicker in entertainment television is the rapid scene of reference change. Not all TV does this. How many of you have seen C-SPAN before? You can't get hypnotized watching C-SPAN. You just can't. Now, one of the things that will happen if you're watching C-SPAN is your eyes won't focus in on the TV set all the time. It's unnatural for you to stare at that senator doing the flip charts as he's going through his um, talk and his piece. Uh, you'll look at it occasionally. If he's bringing something up, you'll actually look at it here. Just like uh, for you uh, here in this room, your eyes are diverting around at other places. You're actually looking at the screen, looking at me. That helps prevent hypnosis. And uh, the C-SPAN, you really can't get hypnotized because your eyes, it would be, you'd have to just totally tell yourself, keep focusing, keep focusing. Don't get, let your eyes divert from it to even have a halfway chance of getting hypnotized by what's going on. But with the rapid scene of reference change of entertainment television, do you have to remind yourself to keep focused on that TV? The rapid scene of reference change makes it very easy for you to keep your eyes focused on that set. In fact, so easy, you will get so zoned in that your peripheral vision will go down significantly. There have been a number of studies showing that. You can have someone even, it'll get to the point where you can have some object fly across the room in the middle of where the TV is at and you not even see it. That's how hypnotic you can get uh, in regards to watching entertainment television. What produces that um, flicker is that rapid scene of reference change. In entertainment television, the scene changes every three to five seconds on average. And so you're constantly seeing this camera switching uh, going on. And studies show if we, if we were to put brain waves on you and you were to sit down and watch your favorite television program, studies show that you will go from beta wave rhythm, which is where your frontal lobe is very active, to alpha wave rhythm in 90 seconds to at most three minutes. So at first your frontal lobe is active and then after three minutes it actually shuts down in anywhere from 90 seconds to three minutes. And, but you have no clue, of course, that your frontal lobe isn't active anymore. Uh, but uh, unfortunately the effects of it uh, continue. Uh, studies uh, show the more entertainment television viewed the more you have a decreased interest in learning, so it affects your motivation. Decreased interest in reading, particularly material that's going to be educational. It decreases in IQ scores, 
uh, occur significantly, both at age three and also at age 11. Decrease in academic performance at any age. Decreases in discernment in between what is right and what isn't so right. Your ability to discern truth goes down significantly. There's an increase in daydreaming. Now, is that a good thing or not a good thing? Yeah, a lot of people think daydreaming is good. As you'll find out, it isn't good. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But when, you, when daydreaming increases, you always have a decrease in creativity. Creativity and daydreaming are indirectly proportional. Uh, and so your creative thinking goes down. In fact, there was a um, communications expert in fact, he headed our communications department at Columbia Union College for years, Dr. Joel Wheeler. He's written a book called Remote Control. And he would have people take his communications class that wanted to be in the media. And uh, they would fail his communications class or get very low scores. And they would come to him almost crying, the young students, I want to be in TV. My whole goal in life is to be involved in the media. Uh, how can I do this if I'm failing your class? What can I do? And he would give them one instruction. Stop watching television for one year. Come back and take my class. And he had students that were so interested in being in the media, they, they did that, whatever he said. So he, they stopped watching TV for a year. When they came back and took his class, how well do you think he, they did? They were A students. They were at the top of the class. Their IQ had significantly improved. In fact, their ability to utilize the media uh, to accomplish purposes actually went up. Now, sometimes we can use high IQ things for bad purposes. You know, there are people that are movie producers today in Hollywood who won't watch a movie because they know it's going to decrease their creativity. They'll watch segments of it to see what someone else did but they know their creative ability is why they're as successful as they are and they know if they get involved in suppressing their frontal lobe their their success rate is going to go down significantly and so they themselves will refuse to watch entertainment television or entertainment uh, movies so decrease in creative ingenuity occurs the more tv adolescents watch the more likely they are to develop attention and learning problems and do poorly in school in the long run the amount of tv kids watched when they were fourteen positively linked with having attention problems later not doing homework being bored at school not finishing high school and hating school the researchers found this study just published in may two thousand and seven by columbia university fourteen year olds who added one more daily hour of tv doubled their risk of academic failure at age sixteen so just one greater hour significantly diminishes uh, their success rate. Now, daydreaming recently has been linked to the development of significant memory problems later in life called Alzheimer's. The way people use their brains could actually lead to Alzheimer's disease. When people are concentrating on a task such as reading, talking, or solving problems, the brain uses one set of regions, but during downtime it switches to a default mode. Study found that Alzheimer's mostly affects the brain's default state regions used when musing or daydreaming. And uh, in fact, this goes on. This is part of the same study. Five different imaging techniques, including PET, MRI, were used to study the brain activity of 764 volunteers, including those with Alzheimer's, those close to developing dementia, and healthy people. 
And what Randy Buckner and colleagues at Wash University found out was the regions of the brain we tend to use in our default state when we are young are very similar to the regions where plaques form in older people with Alzheimer's disease. We appear to use memory systems often in our default states, but daydreaming in our default state may have metabolic consequences. So let's interpret this as far as what we can do with this information. When you're standing in line at a grocery store, uh, this is where daydreaming tends to occur. There's nothing else really going on. And it tends to occur even more when you're in a traffic jam uh, in San Francisco because uh, there's no real other activity except seeing all of these cars and pretty soon that gets pretty boring. And so you just start going into default states, daydreaming. And when you're in the daydreaming mode, it will have metabolic consequences. In fact, there's a recent study will show in the memory portion, it can adversely affect the memory as well. And so the way to enhance your mental performance is when you start to get into boring times, is the time to pull out a three by five card that has a scripture text on it and start to memorize it. It will actually do the opposite effect of what daydreaming will do. Uh, and so uh, uh, that's uh, where the mind can stay active uh, instead of going to the daydreaming mode. Music enters the brain through its emotional regions, which include the temporal lobe and limbic system. From there, some kinds of music tend to produce a positive frontal lobe response that influences the will, moral worth, and reasoning power. And it can do it in a very positive way. Uh, it can influence all of those things. In fact, just uh, last week, I attended uh, this concert that you're seeing there. This was the Dallas Symphony Orchestra. They perform uh, 12, actually I think it's like 16 performances in 12 days. Uh, and they center in on scriptural themes uh, and they don't advertise this at all. Why don't they advertise it? Because every seat is filled uh, to capacity. They don't have to advertise it at all. Uh, and it's very positive music. Influences the moral worth, reasoning power in a very positive way. By the way, there's been a resurgence of classical music in America today. Uh, it's starting to go up. Uh, the Johannes organ builders are talking about it. People are putting Johannes organs in their churches. This is not just Seventh-day Adventist churches. This, these are all sorts of churches putting these organs in. And I asked one of the Johannes dealers, why is this going up? Johannes, you can't press a button and get a syncopated rock and roll rhythm. You just can't do it. Uh, it's, uh, it's totally a, a classical-based organ. There's no, none of those rhythms in there. Uh, and uh, he just said, very simply, this is being driven by young people. And I said, really? What's happening? He says, the young people are rejecting the music of their parents. And they're going back to the music of their grandparents. Uh, and uh, they're noticing that this is something that actually seems to be helping them uh, to focus in on themes such as this. So I think we need to be at the uh, societal edge there uh, and take advantage of that. But science is also showing it. Uh, other kinds of music with this syncopated rock and roll rhythm will evoke very little, if any, frontal lobe response, will produce a large emotional response with very little logical or moral interpretation. And this is characterized by the syncopated rock and roll rhythms that are prevalent today. Decrease in IQ, decrease in EQ uh, occurs. Showing upbeat music is not necessarily uplifting music. And a lot of people uh, today, when they think of classical music, they tend to think of only one type of classical music. 
and that is funeral music because that's the only time they've ever heard it. Uh, if you go to a funeral, even if you go to a rock star's funeral, you will hear classical music there. Uh, they always bring out the classical music in funerals. Why don't they play all that syncopated rock and roll stuff? They might do it as far, far, part of a memory section or something when they're showing slides of him up on the screen uh, so that you can remember the type of music he produced. But why don't they do that? They want you to be very reflective and they want you to be more serious. And they recognize that this type of music leads to less seriousness and less reflectivity. And so they'll bring out the classical music then. But a lot of people equate classical music with funeral music, not recognizing there are more varieties of classical music than there are all, all other musics combined. So you can have very joyful, very uplifting classical music. Uh, it's just that it's not often heard. This was an interesting study. 24 university students performed two tests of attention. Positive moods were induced by playing Bach's Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 3. And this was done in people that had, well, many of these people had never been exposed to classical music. But if you play Bach's Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 3 and people listen to it, they will get a positive mood. You can't really listen to that music and stay depressed unless you're not concentrating on the music. Negative moods were produced by a Prokofiev piece played at half speed. Now Prokofiev is also a classical musician, but he's a contemporary classical musician. And I should mention not all classical music enhances frontal lobe performance. The contemporary music that doesn't have a rhythm, doesn't have a melody, uh, has all of this, you know, kind of like modern art where it's just all, all of these notes are splashed on the, on the screen, uh, it does not improve mental performance. In fact, the only people that tend to enjoy that music are the ones that are really involved in the performing of it because they have to practice it over and over again and as they get more exposed to it, they tend to enjoy it more. But actually, contemporary music actually set up the problems with the contemporary rock and roll scene of today. When in the 1900s, all of the classical music became something that was very unenjoyable to a person not used to it. They were looking for some music that had some enjoyment to it. And at least the rock and roll had harmony and had rhythm and had melody, even though it was very simple often. And so it, it was a setup, a gravitational setup for the world to shift over uh, because the music uh, was not enhancing uh, of the classical variety it was there. However, Bach's Brandenburg Concerto is enhancing. Prokofiev, if you play it at half speed, it's been shown in everyone that listens to it, they will experience feelings of depression as a result. To produce a neutral mood, participants read a series of facts and figures about Canada. Any Canadians in the group here? All right. <laughs> All right, well, sorry, that's just how they produced a neutral mood. <laughs> well, let's take a look at uh, the results. When they were in a positive mood, participants scored higher on a remote associates task, a measure of what? Creative thinking. So the Box Brandenburg Concerto actually produced creative thinking as a result. When feeling happy, Anderson explained, your attentional window is actually bigger. It's like looking through a big window versus a small window. Now the good news about this study, for even for the Canadians, is the study showed that when you read facts and figures about Canada, you were actually better at doing accounting 
than even li listening to Box Brandenburg Concerto. Box Brandenburg Concerto is going to help with creativity, but as far as accuracy and accounting, those type of things, you actually don't want to listen to any music at all uh, if you're wanting to be uh, super accurate in regards to those uh, sorts of things. Now, when you were listening to Prokofiev, <coughs> it was an adverse effect on both uh, significantly. Yes. Okay, well, the implication is listening to music while you study. Uh, if you are listening to music that you enjoy, uh, we actually don't recommend uh, that you listen to it while you study uh, because uh, it can decrease the accuracy of what you're learning. Uh, and so it's actually better not to have any music. Now, if there's just classical music played in the background that's barely audible, that you don't really recognize, those sorts of things, it seems to have more of a neutral effect. Uh, but if you're really wanting to enhance your creativity, you want to actually listen to the music, uh, and then right after that is the time to really think about creative uh, types of thoughts. Alvin Toffler, he's a media expert, a secular individual. He's written a lot of books that you might have had to read if you were a communications major in college. But he says this, constant stimulation of the senses shuts down the what? analytical processes and ultimately shuts down the ability to face life rationally. This leads to escape techniques that involve withdrawal, apathy, and rejection of what kind of thinking? Disciplined thinking when faced with difficult duties and decisions. And what brings this all about? It's the constant stimulation of the senses. So you not only have the rapid scene of reference changes, but then you have sensual images in the rapid scene of reference change combined with syncopated rock and roll rhythm we call it MTV, produces a very strong suppressant effect on the frontal lobe of the brain. And it will affect academic performance. It's going to affect your ability to undergo difficult uh, decisions, uh, particularly complex decisions. And it's going to tend to uh, very much involve escape techniques where you get into withdrawal, apathy, and rejection of discipline thinking. So when we look at a large group of young people in America today, it shouldn't be surprising to find out that they're very poor decision makers and they tend to have apathy and withdrawal, particularly in regards to subjects that should excite them. And really it's being set up, they're being set up that way in regards to the, the culture and where it has led them to. Well finally, the brain is a lot like a muscle. If we don't use it, we'll lose it. And uh, we need to, uh, we'll talk about ways in which we can enhance it and during the next hour with the memory. We're going to be particularly talking about memory. But I'd like to end with a couple of thoughts here. This is from a secular author. It's not from a religious author, but it was, it's a section on IQ. Fiction is what most prefer to read, but it is hardly useful for enhancing the thought process. Read books which are what? Mentally challenging. It will help you improve your ability to read and write, which has to do with IQ. Classics will improve your vocabulary to think in English and may even change the pattern of your thinking. Never ignore the words you don't understand. Look up the words for their meaning. Also put all your effort in understanding paragraphs which appear complicated. Read them again and again to understand the full depth. Cultivate this habit and you will soon be able to grasp what? any complicated matter. And so I would encourage you, one of the books that you can start out with 
in doing this is the book Conflict and Courage, written by Ellen White. It's just one page a day. Chances are there's going to be at least one word that you're not completely familiar with, and there may be uh, some words, two or three, on the page. But it starts out with a story, it, and then applies that story. Each one has to do with a story, so it's very easy to get involved with it. And if you uh, compile that vocabulary list day after day and go through that, it's going to enhance your ability to understand any complicated matter. The book Education by Ellen White says this, as a means of intellectual training, the Bible is more effective than any other book or all other books combined. The greatness of its themes, the dignified simplicity of its utterances, the beauty of its imagery quicken and uplift the thoughts as nothing else can. No other study can impart such mental power as does the effort to grasp the stupendous truths of revelation. The mind thus brought in contact with the thoughts of the infinite cannot but expand and strengthen. And so the study of the word of God is also a way to enhance IQ. So I'm gonna ask you this morning, do you wanna be more intelligent? Do you wanna be more analytical? Do you want to be better discerning? Do you want to make better decisions? <coughs> if so, I would like to uh, have you review your life, see what you can do to change some of the patterns of your life and habits of your life to ones that are going to enhance your mental performance. Daniel chapter 1, Don talked about that yesterday, uh, and the rejection of certain foods and the acceptance of other foods. Uh, and we could go into that decision-making process, but I want to end with a couple of other quotes here by the pen of Ellen White. Be determined to become as useful and efficient as God calls you to be. Be thorough and faithful in whatever you undertake. Procure every advantage within your reach for what? Strengthening the intellect. Every advantage within your reach for strengthening the intellect. She goes on to say, the Lord has given man capacity for what? continual improvement. Our brains are built that way and has granted him all possible aid in the work. Through the provisions of divine grace we may attain almost to what? The excellence of angels. What an encouraging statement. You can have an IQ that is right up there on par with the angels. That's mind, character, and personality, page 9. And then this one. Dear youth, who is she speaking to? This is what she would say at GYC. God calls upon you to do a work which through his grace you can do. Show up purity of taste, appetite, and habits that bears comparison with who? Daniel's. God will reward you with four things, she says. Calm nerves, a clear brain, unimpaired judgment, keen perceptions. The youth of today whose principles are firm and unwavering will be blessed with health of body, mind, and soul. Adventist Home 301. The wisest man, Solomon, says this, wisdom is better than rubies. If you have a choice of choosing wisdom, high IQ and high EQ, or all the money in the world, which one should you choose? Wisdom. All the money in the world is not going to get you very far mentally. Wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. Well, we have, uh, no, I guess we haven't. We've just uh, uh, gone right up to the limit. 
Uh, I'm going to open up the next hour for questions and answers uh, since we've got, uh, uh, my next presentation is going to be a little bit shorter. It's going to be on memory and uh, all the aspects of memory as well as the seven different types of memory problems. And then I'll go into some scientific studies on that and then I'll open it up for questions and answers in regards to IQ and memory. Uh, and so that will begin in 15 minutes. Uh, let's bow our heads before we close this program. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us the capacity for continual improvement and have given us all possible aid in the work. You've taught us how we can best achieve mental performance, peak mental performance. And we pray that each one in this room will make the commitment to live a lifestyle in comparison with Daniel's, that we might have the keen perceptions and the unimpaired judgment needed to face the difficulties of today. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.